I'm Jordan Ferguson. And I'm Kate McKinnon. And you are listening to the Geek Down Podcast. Welcome back to another fantastic episode of the Geek Down Podcast. This is a show where two friends sit in front of microphones and try to find the sweet spots where their fandoms intersect. My name is Jordan Ferguson. I am in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Joining me on the other line, lounging in the satellite branch in scenic Hamilton, it is your girl, Caitlin McKinnon. Ayo! Hey girl, hey! Hey girl, hey! This is episode 241 of the Geek Down Podcast. If you'd like to listen to any of our other 240 episodes, you just swing on by to wherever you get your audio content. Spotify, SoundCloud, Google, Apple, Stitcher. Yeah, I think that's fine. I think that's it. I think that's the cadence. That's the best That's the best you order. You got it. That's the best order. You got I was just, just going to be like, ding. Like, you got it. <laughs> I did it, y'all. Go to any of those places. Give us a like, follow, subscribe, a little rate and review if you like. We would appreciate it. And that is all you have to do, because we know you can't go out and get a podcast. You're too busy lining up for a pop-up clinic for a vaccination. More on that in a moment, but you can't leave your spot in line, or you're fucked. So good thing there's a man who's going to ride on by on a rainbow main alicorn named Philip, and that's your man's. Chauncey Frostilicus III, geek down internet elf. Who's that guy? It's Chauncey! <laughs> wow. All you have to do, you just be sitting there. You'd be like, "Is this line ever going to move?" And then, whoop! New episode of Geek Down. You'd be like, "Thank God!" This. And in the distance, in the distance, all you hear is, "Who's that guy? It's Johnson." Just on the air, you hear it coming. You'd be like, "Am I yep. delirious? I've been standing outside Downsview Arena for three days. What's happening?" Who's, Who's that, that motherfucker, Johnson? <laughs> took five years to finally get him a proper theme song. <laughs> Lord. It's not going to stick. I'm not going to remember this. No, You're going to try and prompt me next week, and I'm going to be like, what? What are you talking about? I like the moon. <laughs> Y'all, you just need to realize that Caitlin is literally a canary, and anything that happens on a given episode <laughs> leaves her brain the second mm-hmm. the episode is over. So make, yep. the fact that we have even able to maintain the bit of Chauncey, is like just incredible at this point. Uh, mate, uh, it's phenomenal. One day I'm just going to be like, "By your man's," and it's just going to be like silence. <laughs> and be like, "Who? who? Huh? What? Huh? Huh? Huh?" And then I'll give you fun facts about the moon. <laughs> oh God, this is what I have in store for me today, friends. If you have any bits from the past you'd like to see come back, that you'd like to like me to try to rehammer into Caitlin's canary brain. You can hit us up on twitter.com at geekdownpod. That is where the show lives on the social meds. If you'd like to support this endeavor financially, don't keep all your money. But if you just have too much money and you refuse to listen to us and you're contrarian, if you want to play devil's advocate, get on over to ko-fi.com slash geekdownpod. Throw three bucks in the collection plate. Little little salute, tink, tink, little, tink. little hat tip for us to let us know you appreciate the chicane of fuckery we bring to your life every week. Kate, I got a new feature. I was thinking. Oh, oh. Given that we seem to start every episode talking about this, I'm like, let's let's make it a little regular. So, friends, let's take a minute and check in with the shot clock. 
friends, the shot clock is the clock of how long it is taking for Jordan to get a vaccination. And also Caitlin, but I mean, I'm closer than Caitlin is, and I still can't get one. So I, I am so far. We joke about that sometimes. They're like, oh, yeah, end of the month. I'm like, you mean end of the month 2022? There have been some developments, some promising developments. Last week, I came down word that uh, St. Joe's Hospital here in Toronto, a scant kilometer walk away from my uh, apartment, was now accepting my postal codes. Friends, I have... It's, major thing in Canada or Ontario lately has been this idea of the hotspots, hot which are areas, areas that are harder hit. And there's constantly, there's like 30 of them or something. And like that's, that's, they're really pushing the vaccinations to the hotspots. Cause that's where transmission's happening. And we got, we got to, we had to get those people vaccinated and I live in one of them and I never see it mentioned anywhere to the point where my member of provincial parliament, Butila Carpochi, bless her the queen got up in the house of Commons and was like, yeah, what's up with this one? This is in my writing. The closest, basically there was a clinic I could have gone to. It was two hours on transit. It was literally out in the, in the Northwest part of Toronto, which is the fucking middle of nowhere and has like nothing. There's like no transit access out there. So when I would check Google maps, it'd be like 90 minutes out there. And then that another 90 minutes back. If I even had a dose when I got there. Right. Like, that, yeah, and that's that's part of it, and also, like, that's 90 minutes on a good day. Yeah, exactly. So, St. Joe's, kilometer away, appointment, shit. And I was looking, and it's like, it's like, there are 80 spots. I'm like, you? I'm in the queue. It's like, yeah, you'll get in there in four minutes to book your appointment. I'm like, awesome. Oh, my God. It's happening, y'all. It's happening. No, it wasn't happening. By the time I got through, all the appointments were gone. Um, then, there was... The announcement that for my entire postal code, which I looked up is much larger than I even realized, there will be a pop-up at, is it the Canadian Association for Mental Health? Is that what all the letters in CAMH stand for? CAMH? Um, I should know this. I feel really bad now. Hold on one sec. No, Oracle, we don't need to know. <laughs> it's, it's Center for Addiction and Mental Health! There you go. <laughs> Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Um... They will be having a pop-up with a whopping 100 doses a day. Wow. No wow. appointments. Oh, my God. Now, I Why? have a very busy week because someone cute's having a birthday. And also, you know, saw what the dose did to her and other people I know where it kind of like knocked them out the night after. If not the night of, they got it. And like the following day, they got knocked out a little bit. And I don't want to be knocked out for her birthday. So at the, at the best, I might try on the Thursday, but a hundred, 300 doses for an entire postal code. My G. Yeah. The latest development was announced. It's Sunday as we're recording. This was announced this morning when it was announced that now, if you live in a hot, the move they should have done, like, you know, a month ago when the second they came up with the notion of hotspots, now, if you live in a hotspot, you can book on the provincial site. It will find you somewhere to book, and you can book an appointment at one of the max vac- vaccination sites based on your, like, you know, public health unit. So, uh, looking forward to having that site crash and be unusable for most of tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah. 
that's that's going to be sounds re- about right. To be real exciting for me, and hopefully, yes, I can get in there somewhere. Or you know, St. Joe's is going to open up another block on Thursday for the following two weeks. Like we're we're scratching a little closer, Kate, but we are still still not really anywhere close. My homie Pops is about to uh, at 10 p.m. tonight about to line up at the pop up across from the place he lives. For when it opens tomorrow morning. Like, y'all thought I was joking when I said it's like copping a Supreme drop around here. It literally is. <laughs> it's literally like trying to get Dior Jordans. It's like you are, like, lining up with a fucking lawn chair. I saw footage this morning from Downsview Arena. Literal pop-up tents. Oh, my God. We're a first world country, y'all. If you ascribe to whatever sort of definition that is, we're supposed to fit it. And we got people in pop-up tents on the sidewalk to try to get, you know life-saving medicine. I don't really... Okay, so technically the term is developed nation, and I don't really believe that anymore. Uh. I believe it is a much thinner line than people think it is. Oh, yeah. I mean, proof positive. You saw saw America collapsing underneath it and then kind of climbing back out. You saw us kind of above the line and then dipping below it in the past past six months. It's all very all very tenuous like it don't take much for like the entire fabric of the society you thought you had to live in to just be like hold up wait a minute the entire thing's still going on about like oh we got all these jobs we can't fill them people are lazy now they don't want to work they're making more money on unemployment bro 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 my guy you look at what employment actually unemployment actually pays it ain't that much if you can't offer a better wage than that, that ain't their problem. It ain't because they're lazy. That's your problem. You don't get to own a business. You're not. It's, it's not your right to own a business. If you can't afford to pay a living wage, fuck you and fuck your business. I concur Con- with that statement. I mean, we don't agree about much, but there are like maybe three, four things. This is like number five is that if you can't pay a, a living wage, you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> I mean, what a momentous day. Kate. Yeah. You know, I love to bum us out. Oh, you just, you adore bumming us out and you make and making me cry. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to make you cry today. Um, there was a rash of hip hop related passings in the last couple weeks. And there was one last week that I meant to really devote a little time to forgot completely. Cause I also have canary brain, but the second we like st- stopped recording, it popped into my brain and I went, Oh, and then like the first thing I wrote in my notes for the following week, which is this week is this thing I want to talk about. So we lost, uh, we lost DMX. Yep. At the age of 50, who had had long struggles with um, crack addiction and other other personal issues. Um, and we also lost, uh, it's unfair to call him a one-hit wonder. He had one, I've, I've since heard a lot of that album. Here's what I've, I've learned about myself. Like, shit I thought was kind of like, eh. Now living in the, like, you know, Trap Casio Beats uh, mumble rap era. Right. I hear like album cuts from Black Rob, and it's like, yeah, that was. Fun. I thought Whoa was kind of whack, but you know, I've heard cuts from the album since, and it's like, that was a dope ass album because it just was '90s hip hop, right? Like, it's always going to be, right. it's always going to be dope. But we lost Black Rob at the age of, I believe, mid fifties. He might have been fifty five. And most tragic, yes. most tragic to me, was the passing of a guy named Gregory Jacobs in Tampa. He was found in a hotel room in Tampa. He was fifty seven years old. A.K.A. Shock G of Digital Underground, A.K.A. Humpty Hump, 
also Digital Underground. Digital Underground was like a really important group to uh, Bay Area hip hop and Oakland and that whole whole area and are kind of like unfairly maligned for two reasons or like not maligned but like are now kind of recognized for like only two things and that's the Humpty Dance and the fact that they like put Tupac on like right they gave Tupac his the first recorded Tupac verse was on a digital underground song and he was like a backup dancer and some other videos and stuff like that he was affiliated and uh what I didn't know at the time and came to find out later, like shock G basically was digital underground and Mm -hmm. he would come up with all these aliases because the thing that they don't get enough credit for. And I've seen now in like kind of these like, um, you know, obits and, uh, and appreciations lately have been, they brought parliament to hip hop, like parliament, funkadelic, George Clinton, People would have probably got there eventually, but, like, people were looking at, like, you know, James Brown, Isaac Hayes. Those were a lot of, like, your sample sources in 80s hip-hop. And then, like, late 89, 90, when Digital Underground was really coming up, it was like, fuck it. We're going to the mothership. It's all Parliament. It's all George Clinton. That's all we're lifting from, basically. That's pretty cool. So, like, the point when, like, I finally started listening to Parliament on their own, I knew half the songs. So, I was like, oh, that's Packet Man. That's Freaks of the Industry. Like, I knew all the samples that they that they had used. Um and another thing that Shock really took from George Clinton was, like, Parliament always had these, like, characters. They were always George Clinton, but, like, it was Dr. Funkenstein or Starchild or Sir Nose Devoid of Funk. Like, my personal favorite. Yeah, it is pretty good. Because if you fake the funk, Caitlin, your nose will grow. Oh, no. It's just the truth. Um, That's maybe mine. Mine is so short and pudgy because I never fake the funk. <laughs> I bring the funk. <laughs> Finally, the explanation for Kate's big round face is just... <laughs> just funk. She never faked the funk. That's what happens. Nope. You get an adorable moon face. Um, so I now have realized that, like, when you... There would sometimes be live piano... Like, they would call to the piano man on tracks, and then live piano would play it. That was shock. He was, like, a really good piano player. Um, he drew, um, like, the sleeves on, like, the early releases like you see the Humpty Dance 12 inch and there's like a caricature of Humpty Hump and he drew that but it was like yeah. credited to like Rackadelic or something and he never and he never like credited himself it was always like really vague if you read like the production credits it was never like produced by Shock G it was produced by whatever underground something something but it was always him um and most notably he had this alter ego Humpty Hump which was lifting a little bit of Bootsy Collins voice and these like giant Groucho Marx uh, nose and glasses type of things and big fur hats and like, you know, and he would come out and talk in this like really like affected voice. And he was so committed to the bit. And I've heard other people say this. I heard Peter Rosenberg on Hot 97 say this, that like as a kid, you thought you knew that it was the same dude. But you weren't totally sure because he would use stand ins or camera tricks in the videos or something like. Right. It's like, well, okay. But that I, I saw Shock there, but then Humpty's on stage. But isn't that Shock over there? No, it was a guy who looked like Shock in the same outfit. But like, and they had that's some, amazing. They that had some, like that commitment to the bit to the part. That's amazing. Oh, and there was a whole backstory that was deeper than I thought. Like I remember seeing a much music interview with them when I was a kid. Because full disclosure, y'all, I thought their first song was called "Do What You Like." I liked that song, and then the Humpty Dance came out, and it was. 
grade eight, 12 year old Jordan, the best song I had ever heard in my life. The Humpty Dance was the greatest song I'd ever heard in my life. I have forgotten so much. That's really sweet. I have forgotten so much about so much. I could recite to you every lyric to the Humpty Dance right now at this minute. Like, that's... (laughs) So, like, I remember what... So, I was a fan, and I remember watching this interview on Much Music, and there was, like, a ticker going on the bottom that explained this story that, like, he burned his nose in a deep fryer accident or something. (laughs) And that's why he wore the the glasses with the fake nose. And then, since on Wikipedia, like it's even there was even more. Like he was, his name was like his name was supposed to be like Ed, Edward Humphreys, and he was like a, he was in like a Motown group or something called Fast Eddie and the Humpers or something like that. And then he had this like freak accident with the deep fryer and turned to rapping, and it was like this whole thing. And he never, he never, Shock, Shock never really copped to it. Even, even if everybody knew, he never really copped to it being, like, the same dude. Um, okay, it's not the same, but um, Mata Hari, who, I'm not going to go into it, but basically she was a well-known, like, she was possibly a spy, but maybe a, a double agent, and she danced and was a, as a, was a sex worker and stuff, but she didn't have any boobs, <laughs> and she, and men would want her to take her like bra off but obviously it was like stuff to make it look like she had more cleavage than she did and she would tell them that she couldn't because one of her lovers had bit her nipples off (laughs) i just i don't know it reminded me of that like absurd level of absurdity but she would never she just she would never say that that was not true like she just totally yeah um and like so and the other thing about digital underground and kind of like so i i loved that I love the Humpty Dance when I was 12 years old, and I remember being at like you know the Southfield Mall or something with my parents on like a on like a back to school cross border shopping type trip, and we were at a Sam Goody or some shit, and I saw the tape. Because here's the other thing: you'll develop like a weird affinity for like one album that was maybe not universally recognized as one of the best, but like it was the best to you because you just this is pre Spotify, all you couldn't buy everything; you had to make do with what you had. And if you really like the and Humpty Dance. And you couldn't get, like, a song, really. Like, they didn't have that in tape form. That you might find a single, you know, yeah, once in a while. Yeah, but, like, that – how often was that that I, you would find something like that, right? I saw two singles in my life. My mom had a Janet Jackson one, and I had a uh, – I had Snaps of the Power, which I believe I've mentioned on the show before. Oh, my God. Amazing. Um, but I remember I got the album. I saw Digital Underground, and I grabbed it. The album was called Sex Packets. I'll get to why in a moment. <laughs> Um, and it had a parental advisory on the front. And I remember being like, oh, fuck, I want this so bad. I was the one listening to Humpty Dance, like, every day. Like, I remember going, going to my mom and being like, can I have this? Um, and she kind of looked at it and this was, you know, credits, credits to my mom. This was always kind of how she was. She looked at it and she kind of like cocked her eye at me and she's like, don't be lending it out to your friend, little friends. <laughs> she's like i don't need i don't need a call from nobody's mother telling me where they get this from and they got it from you like you know this okay fine but like this is yours don't be loaning it out to anybody and so they almost called sex packets because they basically it was like kind of a concept album they had this concept of like wouldn't it be great if you could like sex in a pill basically if you could take this pill 
and then just like have this really lucid hallucination of like <laughs> so this is peak aids crisis right like you know like you couldn't just everybody was spooked you couldn't just go out and like smash whoever like yeah that shit was real so i think that's what kind of they were working with like wouldn't it be great if you could have that kind of like free love thing again um he would also rap as himself he would duet as himself like there That's there was cool. there was a third there there was a third rapper he was two of them but i mean there was another rapper named money b and sometimes he would rap with money b who had a really like kind of raspy kind of high pitched q tip uh adjacent voice <laughs> um but there's a song called packet man which is basically like the story of like explaining all what sex cuz it's like a drug deal it's like the story is humpty has discovered this guy on the street or this guy on the street stops Humpty and is like, hey, you know, you, you want some of these packets? And Humpty doesn't know what they are, and it's the explanation of what they are. It's over this amazing Fred Wesley break. It's, like, it's a fantastic, fantastic song. But, like, rapping as you're, like, other people have kind of done this, but it was, like, it really struck me as, like, a 12-year-old and just kind of, like, the world they built. And it was also the first time I ever heard live instrumentation over hip-hop. There's, like, a 90-second track, filler track on sex packets that's literally just record scratching over like just some kind of like funk piano drum bass break and this is like before the roots this is before all that and it was the first time i'd ever heard that and my little mind was blown and i was like that's what music should sound like i have now realized <laughs> i'm 12 and that's what music should sound like that was like when i uh basically for all of my childhood from like the age of like I kid you not, like, two to, I had to have been maybe nine, Madonna was my favorite artist, <laughs> and I just, just listened to Madonna and, like, Scottish music, uh, and some of my mom's stuff, like Linda Ronstadt and stuff, but, you know, they Madonna was my favorite artist. I remember my cousin, who was super, super cool, much older than I was, every time he'd see me, he'd be like, is Madonna still your favorite artist? I was like, yeah, obviously. <laughs> and then... <laughs> I discovered, like, at the, really quickly, uh, Cheryl Crow, um, Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill, <laughs> and No Doubt's um, Tragic Kingdom. And just that, like, oh, there was – it was like dipping your toe into – you were just like, oh, there's, like, a whole ocean of music out there. And then, of course, going into just so much other stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, like, music, it'll blow your mind, man. <laughs> and what's crazy is, like, you know, because I was a kid who was listening to, like, whatever rap I could find as a kid, and it was really hard, right? It was, like, hard drums. It was Billy Squire drums and Run DMC and Public Enemy and, like, all this hard shit. Even NWA was, like, you know, hard, really banging drums. And then for Digital Underground to come through with this much kind of smooth, funkier, like, not that they were R&B or anything, but it was, like, when you're pulling from the Parliament language set, you know, the funkadelic side of things, it's a lot... It's a lot groovier in the funk that they're using, right? And, like, right. what's amazing is, like, I remember being one of the, my early trips to Cosmos when Hisa and I were really establishing that relationship of, like, he'd throw some shit on and blow my mind and try to get me to spend way too much money on it. And then I would go and get a, you know, $15 reissue somewhere else. There's <laughs> a dude I'd never heard of. If you were into crate digging, I'm sure he would, that was, like, you know, a given. But he's a guy named Dexter Wanzel. He's a keyboardist. He's got this album called Life on Mars, and he's to put this thing on, and it sounded so familiar, and I couldn't place it. I'm like, why do I know that? I'm like, what is that? I said, he's to put it on 45. And he did, and I went, that's Gut Fest 89 by Digital Underground. 
my god, that's amazing. And I was like, 20 years later, and I was like, that's years. He was still, you know, that album was still teaching it. So I mean, rest in peace to DMX, rest in peace to Black Rob, and my God, rest in peace to Shock G. You were really, really a genius, and I don't think, unfortunately, a lot of people, enough people knew it at the time, and maybe you didn't care if people knew what a genius you were at the time. You're just kind of happy to do your thing, but it's really. I've read a lot of articles this week with people basically saying a lot of the same shit I just said, where it's like, yeah, this guy was a genius, and everyone just thinks, oh, the Humpty Dance, but he was like so much more talented than than just that. So go on Spotify, listen to Sex Packets, listen to Packet Man. It's a fucking amazing song. Uh, And yeah, you you will thank me later. Kate. Yes. You're excited about something. I am. I actually. I'm excited about two things, and they're really. Well, the first one's extremely quick. <laughs> I feel really weird coming after that because <laughs> this is like this really deep, like talk about what this person has meant to you and and your musical education. And here I am, like, no. I like superheroes. <laughs> hey, this is this is the back and forth. This is what we do. It's what we're here for. What is exciting you, Caitlin? Okay, well, um, the first thing is Miss Marvel, the TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, of course, Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers is a superhero and in the comics has been a superhero for a long time in the Marvel Universe. Um, and there is a character who was created by G. Willow Wilson and... Adrian Alfona. Thank you. Um, I knew I could rely on you. <laughs> and it, a comic book called Miss Marvel, and it was focused on the life and superhero adventures of Kamala Khan, who was a, uh, a teenager uh, with a Pakistani background living in New Jersey. Brick City. And who... Yeah, and who adored Captain Marvel and wanted to be like Captain Marvel. Um, and she gets her own superpowers. And it's sort of about it's it's about the things that we loved about a comic book like Spider Man. Yeah, it's like it take- was this story, this this living uh uh Bildungsglomann, which is German for like the story of becoming a child, becoming an adult. Take your Finding take your, your early take your early Spider Man Peter Parker vibes, high school Peter Parker vibes, and then just like yeah. apply those struggles to a Pakistani girl in New Jersey. In New Jersey. And it and it was great because it came out at a time where there was still a lot uh well <laughs> not that it's gone away, <laughs> but there were a lot of, you know, um a lot of racism towards Muslims and misunderstanding and all of that. And here came this girl and you're like, Oh, well, did it do okay? Yeah, it did. It did fucking amazing. And they're like, oh shit, we should definitely invest in new superheroes that are from different people's perspectives than just like old white guys. No offense, Jordan. I'm a white male, age 18 to 49. Everyone listens to me. Yeah. So she kind of ushered or helped to usher in along with a couple other superheroes, um, in especially in Marvel, this like, I don't want to, it's not a renaissance, but it was a, a re invigorating of comic books for a new generation well 
She had her own TV show. Pew, 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 pew. Which we've known for a while and I'm sure I've talked about. But first shots of her very cool costume. Oh. Um, and yeah, very similar to what you see in the comic books, but with a flair of like what Captain Marvel's looked like. Now, part of that is because she based in the comics based the some of the imagery of her outfit her hero outfit off of Captain Marvel. Um, and yeah, I'm just exciting to, excited to see the shots. Um, the character Kamal Khan is being played by a young woman uh, originally from Brampton, I believe, um, in Canada. We've actually gotten a lot of that uh, recently. So like, go Canada. So there's like lots of little things I'm excited about. Um, and I'm just really glad that a whole generation of people will get to like be able to cheer on Kamala Khan and yeah, just, you know, excited. Not to be just like stupid excited about things. I'm just stupid excited about it. Suit looks good. It does. Um, the other thing I'm interested in, um, and we don't talk about it or we don't talk about it a ton. I don't know if we've ever talked about it on the show. <sighs> Edward Gorey. Uh, Edward Gorey. I don't know if oh, anybody will be surprised that it's on brand for you, but no, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that we've ever like, talked about it. No, it's like, it was like, in my adolescence and childhood, it was like stamp of immediate approval for Caitlin. <laughs> um, it actually has a lot of, it's not just something I saw. I was like, oh, this is cool. My grandmother brought it to my attention. My grandma had this really, Joyce props to you have this like really dark sense of humor nice she's the one who introduced me to edward gory um specifically uh the gashley crumb tinies yeah which is uh you're like what the fuck is that it's basically a alphabet book um that goes from a to z and each alphabet each letter rather is a child dying of a grisly death which yeah. is illustrated so my grandmother's favorite which she i kid you not clipped out and saved for me from the newspaper <laughs> in the like the 90s was k is for kate who was struck with an axe and you see this small child with a giant axe embedded in their back all done with pen and ink or ink and paper rather um, and that was Edward Gorey style. He made things that were gruesome, that were dark, that were twisted, that were odd and bizarre. You might even say that were gory. <laughs> oh, make myself laugh. Um, and it was it. And if you're like, oh, yeah, I mean, you could look this stuff up, but he's probably most well known for the introduction of mystery on. Um, Oh, what's that show, British thing? Masterpiece Theater. Mm. <laughs> Anytime Masterpiece Theater did like – it was like a big mystery, um, uh, they would do the intro to mystery. And it was basically a cartoon that he had drawn, very stylized, beautiful. Um, but again, like that sort of black and white, sometimes red type of stuff. Um, very unique style. Uh, it has been copied through the ages, but he was very influential to me in the things that I liked. And obviously not just me, to lots of people. Um, and this is where we get this story from. Um, 
Uh, Kumail Nanjiani and IT director Andy Muschietti adapting the book The Doubtful Guest. So The Doubtful Guest is an Edward Gorey book about, it's like a penguin creature who shows up to some people's house, house and like breaks stuff and is just a nuisance. Dope. And I'm excited that they're going to turn this into a movie, but I don't know how. I'm like, is this partial? Is this live action? Is it going to be animated? Like, how are they doing this? I'm just excited that someone is like, yeah, Edward Gorey, that is a thing we haven't seen in movies or television. Let's, you know, let's go there. And so I'm just excited. I'm excited that they're doing some Edward Gorey. I'm excited to see what it's like. I'm just excited. I'm just an excitable person right now. <laughs> there we go. That's it. That was all. That was all my news. Mad, mad excited. Well, keep it rolling, kid. What's, what are your updates? Okay. Well, um, speaking so much of music and things that I like, I have watched a ton of Vox on YouTube, specifically those earworms. Uh, Vox earworm. Is, that is this because I, I kicked in your messenger and was like. Yo, there's new there's new earworms on Vox, which dropped this yeah. week. Yeah, it was. Um, Vox is a, I'm going to say like visual reporting and storytelling. Uh, like they make they make videos that do. I guess that's how how would you represent them? I don't know. I mean, they started as they they, they are a website primarily, but they also have a very uh, robust kind of YouTube presence, and they use a lot of like infographics animated infographics with their uh it's not just a person talking you know it's like or a, the sound or like an overdub of narration there's like a lot of like you know it's just they're informative little short videos about a variety of topics and uh one of which is these really interesting musical subjects sometimes very very niche but always fascinating always fascinating and uh the woman who uh creates them i can't remember her name right now um is amazing. She takes interviews with all kinds of people. Um, yeah. And they're always, they, they always have these really interesting stories. And she also always gives you a lot of other information to be like, if you liked this, you can look at this. Right. And that's one of the things I really like about them. But Vox also just makes a lot of other videos um, on a variety of subjects. They've been doing some really good ones on like vaccination yeah. and on COVID-19 and stuff. So if you kind of... Those were some of the other ones I saw that were like, you know, really explaining when you see a headline about efficacy in vaccines, what does that really mean? Sit down for yeah, five minutes and exactly. watch this and get explained to you properly. Like, Yeah. And, and when, uh, when COVID-19 first hit, they had a, a video about sort of like how this happened. Right. right. Um, and which I really appreciated. Um, they're really I find them really good. And the, also because they show like where they got their research from and where you can go to sort of do your own research. The Vox explainer is like shorthand now at this point. Like it's like, yes. you know, when you don't understand something, you make a joke about like, where's my Vox explainer on? You know, X. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I want my infographics, damn it. Um, anyway, so I adore those videos. Another thing that is kind of similar in the same vein, which I've definitely talked about before, but I've just totally been binging on all week, um, are Crash Course videos. So Crash Course, uh, American History, I think that's where they started with, was uh, created uh, by, uh, well, 
a couple people, but specifically the name you would know is John Green, who writes uh, teen novels. Mr. Faulkner stars himself. Yes. Um, and, uh, but he has lots of different interests, and him and his brother for years de- did these uh, videos called Vlog Brothers, um, and they would just basically vlog back and forth on subjects. Um and then John Green was like, hey, I'd like to do this. He has – he's a history buff, a history nerd, and was like, I'd like to do these. And I think they – I can't remember if they started with world history or American history. But then it, it just exploded, and they've gotten tons of different specialists and doctors to do these videos, usually around 50 on a subject. Um, so there's like a crash course mythology, a crash course psychology – a, vi- a new one, a brand new one that's starting is Crash Course uh, uh, Black his- Black American History. It's going to be uh, – basically, you're going to be taught by Dr. Clint Smith, um, and he's going to teach about the experience of black people in America um, from the arrival of first enslaved black people who arrived at Jamestown all the way to the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and – they did a little sort of uh, basically intro, just explaining like what the series is going to be about, and I am so excited and down for it. Um, and both for this one and for lots of other subjects, especially things like world history, um, they're really great explainers, right? Um, I'm not saying that our education system is lacking or anything, uh, but if you want to fill in some gaps um, – it, they're really great. They're very short. They're good to watch on if you're transiting or if you're in between things or you just want something educational but fun to watch. Uh, they do a lot of, like, fun graphics. They do something called the Thought Bubble where it's, like, a little cartoon of what they're talking about. And they get really, really knowledgeable um well-spoken presenters to sort of present these subjects. Uh, So I would definitely check that out. Um, And that has been great because I've been trying to have less screen time. So if I'm doing something like, you know, getting dressed or waking up in the morning on the weekends or whatever, I'm watching cartoons like I did when I was a kid, but I'm learning things. Kind of like when we all learn, watch Tiny Toons and learn about all the old people stuff. I also continued watching Invincible. Okay. Jordan. Okay. Okay. Uh, it got really good. Uh, I mean, better than it was even getting. And then, um, weirdly, a thing that Jordan will never want nor never be able to watch, I watched My Octopus Teacher. This is the documentary that won an Oscar. To my surprise, from some, <laughs> no, just from some of the, forget the, uh, forget the the subject matter i just read a lot of takes about that dude that were not necessarily flattering um and his his present and his presentation style and he's a he got a real birkenstocks vibe to him doesn't he oh yeah um yeah i don't think i don't know that it deserved to win (laughs) um i have not seen the other documentaries though so i don't know for sure Maybe they're all really bad. I don't know. Um, but I, I, you know what? I was, it's, it suggested it to me because guess what we watched last week? Um, and it was like, here's another nature documentary. Um, and it was okay. 
The sea is a terrifying place. I've been telling you. I know. I've I know. been telling y'all. I I know. We know. But it also has this beauty to it. And um, it's not going to be the dolphins that take over the world. It's going to be the cephalopods. So just everyone brace for that. I mean, listen, there was some clip of one of those motherfuckers like legit escaping from a net and crawling over like, you know, the entire length of a ship to free himself. Like they are very smart. They have uh, different types of intelligence than, than we do. Some the same. They have uh, the ability to have short and long term memory. Um, they feel crazy things with their sucker hands. Um, it gives them a ton of uh, stimulus and, and input. Um, they're able to problem solve. They use things like armor and shields when defending themselves from sharks. Like they are amazing creatures also even the like common octopus can um change its form using like color and its skin like it it, they're unbelievable chameleons of the sea world and they're fascinating creatures he's just he was super weird um and (laughs) yeah and also very like i don't know it's like when you hear those people who go on about cold treatments that can like burn your fat or like stave off disease or something i was a little like uh but just he was talking about basically getting to know the natural world and it making him a better person to be able to feel for these creatures and stuff but also identifying that it's the natural world and there's a process and a cycle and all of that anyway it's it was not the best documentary or natural documentary I've ever seen, natural history documentary. It had some interesting parts in it. It was kind of soothing, though. It wasn't, like, action-packed or anything. Mm. So you're doing something else. It's kind of nice. Yeah, just be prepared. There's a lot of ocean and a lot of diving in the ocean for long amounts of time. Someone Um, else be prepared. I don't need to be prepared. I'm not fucking watching it. (laughs) I'm not talking to you, okay? (laughs) Um, I'm talking to the 12 people who listen to us on a regular basis. Um, anyways, for you guys, if you like the sea and like, you like smooth jazz, this is the documentary. Not that there was tons of smooth jazz. I just mean that feeling of tranquility. Now I'm torn. It's like, it's like Kenny G, but visually, um, this would be for you. The end. That's it. That's it. That's what I watched. All right, let's do this quick. I gotta, I gotta. Oh, 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 Jesus Christ! Yeah, but, 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 I need to talk quickly about what I listen to. This is one of my favorite albums of all time, and I was just talking about how, like, I discovered, you know, there was like Sheryl Crow, and then there was Alanis Morissette, and No Doubt, and blah blah blah. Well, at the same sort of time, um, hip hop became more available mainstream. Right? Like, they they were sort of taking... I mean, it'd been around for ages, of course. And my sister listened to, like, a lot of reggae and a lot of hip-hop. I wasn't quite into that. She's a lot older than I am. Y'all, I have no but, idea where this is going, but I'm delighted to find out. Let's just go together, friends. <laughs> but... So you had your, like, you know, Brandy and Monica, the boy is mine. And you had... Uh, all of a sudden, you had, like, the Fugees... Which was, again, it was, like, this indication that there was this music out there that was just, like, super amazing and fabulous. And then in 1998, one 
Lauren Hill came out with The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Mm -hmm. And this was 1998 was when I was just going into junior high. This album was like crazy formative to those years. I also think that year I got a Discman. And I like, I swear to God, I burnt like lines into the CD from listening to it so often. And I went back and I listened to it all this week. I just kept on listening to it because it's so fucking good. And I don't understand why we don't talk about Lauren Hill more. I think she deserves way more credit than she gets. I think you are in the wrong circles. People talk about people. I think Lauren Hill is correctly rated. I don't think she's under, I don't think she's underrated or underappreciated. I just, I don't know. In the conversation of like black female artists or rappers, I feel like she doesn't come up enough. Defecating on your microphone. What? It's one of her, one of my favorite Lauren Hill, L Boogie raps. Defecating on your microphone. That's what she'll do. She will. She's just that bad. She'll fuck you up. (laughs) Moving on. What did I get into? Kind of a weird hodgepodge grab bag type of thing. Uh, to double back on uh, the Vox earworms, like I said, when Kate brought them up, uh, I asked if that was because I let her know there were new ones because YouTube wanted me to know there were new ones. Uh, only two so far. I don't know if that's all they're doing, although one is very long and I was delighted by. It also so was that. But there's one on Trucker Country, which was a much, I love- much broader... Uh, <laughs> genre in the 70s and i think i understood at the time i mean i knew convoy it's in the grand theft auto soundtrack so i mean i knew it from that but i i we've talked about it i'm sure i i love country <laughs> um and i was delighted they did this <laughs> trucker country y'all kate was delighted by that i was delighted on the 25 minute episode on quiet storm radio well, oh my of course. god oh my god why do we not have more Quiet Storm? This is what we need right now. I was literally screaming. The version I had back home, I'm sure there were, like, actual, like, they did the call for WJLB in Detroit, but there was another one on WOMC, I believe, which was, like, White People Quiet Storm, which is called Pillow Talk, hosted by Alan <gasps> Almond. Oh, my God, yes! <laughs> and, uh... you know, you go to Quiet Storm, you hear Smokey Robinson and, you know, Anita Baker and shit, you went to... uh <laughs> You went to Pillow Talk and listened to I Can't Make You Love Me by Bonnie Raitt and cry in yes, your pillow it's as, a, a, as a 13-year-old, right? Song. <laughs> oh, my God. I sing that song to myself and make myself cry. That's good, how good that song is. Good Lord. Um, and, I mean, because these videos are so good, they go into the origins of it. Like, it's all basically formed around this one genre of radio. And then the music, there was music being made to fit that genre because it was so successful. And how it started on the Howard University um, campus radio in Washington and DC and how this one guy was basically a fill-in guy and how he just played what he wanted to play. And it, he was playing a different kind of music that appealed to a new socioeconomic bracket and the emergence of the black middle cl- class and all that type of crazy stuff that was happening. And there's a lot more at play than just like, Ooh, Smokey Robinson and Anita Baker. Like, you know, it's to even the fact that like, it starts by reminding you that there's a like quiet storm outro on a Drake song from like a few years ago. Like, and they got the guy who does Buffalo's uh quiet storm show to like record something. Yeah. That was wild. Loved it. What else did I get into? 
one another thing I forgot to mention about two things I forgot to mention last week. One I forgot to talk about Shock G. Two I forgot to mention that I watched the Thunderbolt fantasy movie. Uh, yes. Which bridges seasons one and two. If you are if you've forgotten, friends, or you're new and you're unfamiliar, Thunderbolt Fantasy is the murder puppet show. Murder puppet show. It was Caitlin's uh, number one thing I brought her last year. It was really a, mm-hmm. a, a quarantine discovery for me <laughs> to really latch on to. Basically, imagine marionettes that do Crouching Tiger shit, like, and will, like, explode. <laughs> Graphically. Um, yes. Dope as hell. The movie is basically two segments, one of which is the origin of, like, or, like, why the screaming Phoenix killer hates the enigmatic Gale so much. Um, their sort of origin story. And the second half is kind of a recap of the first season of the show told from this grifter who is like lying to people and saying it was his life basically <laughs> and he sits down with the actual protagonist of the show and the protagonist is like i think his name's uh i'm gonna sword guy <laughs> i'm just gonna call him sword guy i don't want to butcher any sword names guy. but <laughs> sword guy sits down with the grifter and he's like oh that sounds fascinating tell me about your life and he gets basically this guy's version of what he lived <laughs> And then they will, you know, then it will, like, and, like, show his version where, like, you know, some evil, one of the evil female assassins, like, falls in love with him type shit. And it's all very melodramatic. And then at one point, Sword Guy's like, didn't that dude have a sworn brother? And he, like, it's the blonde guy with the spear. And he, like, hops in and he's like, ha! <laughs> and, the, and the grifter's like, no, he wasn't there. I don't remember that. And then he looks sad and walks off. Like, <laughs> That's funny. It was dumb. It made me laugh. It's still a rollicking good time. You cannot do wrong with Thunderbolt Fantasy. Third season just dropped uh, with this anime season, so I'm trying to get caught up. Breasts and Eggs remains dope. Still making my way through that, primarily at quiet times. (laughs) Doing curbside pickup at Major Canadian Retailer. I don't know why I bought the book. I read more of it at work than I have (laughs) in the privacy of my own home. Yeah, Um, seriously. What else was in there? Uh, listening to, I want to go back again and really shout out a podcast called uh, 60 Songs That Explain the 90s, which we've talked about before. Just a rash of quality episodes. Um, so, you know, someone cute and I both listen and we'll talk about it later because this is both all music that, you know, we kind of came up on. It was really cute and I like it. My person cute uh, has the worst taste in music, so <laughs> I can't do that with him. I mean, just just some uh, some recent examples. Uh, there was an episode on "Dreaming of You" by Selena. Oh God, such a good song! I got five on it by the Loonies, which I mean, for someone cute who originally came from the Bay Area, that's like she was dying. It was literally like it's like when I watched Ditch Riders. Remember how I felt when I watched Ditch Riders, and there were all these like yep. really hyper local references in there. That's how she felt about this episode. The last one was on Bjork's Hyper Ballad. There was a really nice, respectful one on Dave Matthews' band, Crash Into Me. Oh, man. When I found out what that... I still love that song, but when I found out it, what, what it was about, I was like, ew. As the host says, every generation gets the every breath you take it deserves. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's good. That is good. Two other things I want to shout out that I watched. I don't know that I'll ever give it to you. It's definitely the prestige show of the season is HBO's Mayor of Easttown, um, which there are two episodes out right now. This is basically Kate Winslet doing Broadchurch. Yeah, I, I can't. Um, it's ridiculous good. It's uh, so good. Um, and just... Basically about uh, Kate Winslet plays um, 
you know, former high school basketball star, now like the only detective in her small Pennsylvania town. A girl went missing a year ago. There's been no movement. Everyone in town is losing patience with her because, you know, nothing has happened. She's getting called out by the mother of the girl who she played basketball with in high school because it's, you know, hashtag tiny town. And just the way it sprinkles in, like, all the details because it's small town shit and everybody kind of knows a little bit about everybody's business. And there's one... This show does... I did notice... There's This is a real weird inside thing. There is one casting director i always notice and her name is alexa vogel she did everything from the wire to she might have done game of thrones too like she's just she's a great casting director and she did the casting on this show and you forget i was saying this to someone cute yesterday you forget that there are still perennially kids in america who dress like it's 2004 and the first my chemical romance album just came out like still to this day Are they called e-girls now? I don't know. But there's there's one. She's an early suspect because the girl then, basically then, a second girl has been murdered in this town. And now it's, you know, doubly coming down on Kate Winslet as her life falls apart. There's video that comes out of the girl who got murdered, who was a teenage mother. And, like, her baby's father's new girlfriend is, like, the worst high school girl in the world on that, like, rough house too much black eyeliner oversized black hoodie kind of vibe like and it's so essex county i can't even i can't handle it when i see her and that actress is so good at playing that part but i mean it is broad it's basically just broad church it's the first season of broad church um which i've already seen so i don't need to see this even though it has kate winslet in it and i really like her she's killing it upper echelon um, and another thing I watched, I had never watched, although I heard good things about it, the What We Do in the Shadows TV show. Oh, it's so good. So I watched the pilot, and then uh, over the course of the next couple days, um, I think I got up to episode three of the first season, which is City Council, and then City Council, and then, oh, the werewolf uh, fight. So, oh, so good. friends, we talked about What We Do in the Shadows, the movie, back in one of the spoopy seasons. It's basically The Office with vampires. It's like a you know fake documentary, mockumentary with, you know, vampires in the present day. And I didn't know if it could, you know, and it was done by uh, Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords and directed, co-written and directed by Taika Waititi, who you all know from Thor Ragnarok now. now. And the TV show, the pilot was directed by Taika, and I think Jermaine produces and writes on the season. Um, the only star you might know is Matt Bell plays one of them, right? Is that his name? Yep. The boss yep. from uh, the boss from the IT crowd. Yeah. Um, he plays one of the Baba. vampires. <laughs> also, um, I don't remember her name, but she was in Booksmart. She's, it's she's uh, so good. It's Jonah Hill's sister. Um, I didn't know she was a bigger part of the season. Of the season, I thought she was just a one-off because mm-hmm. they're. You know, they're looking for virgins because those are the most delicious. And where do you go to find virgins, Kate? I don't remember. <laughs> the LARPing I'm a bird. The, the LARPing group, Kate. That's where you oh, go. Yes. Uh, wow, because this is years old now. A, a couple. It's not super old. It was maybe 2019 no, no, when I it know. came out. Um, but the one part yeah, that but did. The pandemic has added 10 years to that, Jordan. That I is, thought you knew that. That is true. The one stupid moment that made me laugh, that made me think I could hang with this for, and it's not really readily available anywhere in Canada, um, unless you, like, go on 
if you, unless you have like cable on demand, it's not really, it's not on a streaming service really yet. It's not on a Crave or Prime or anything like that. It might be on Prime. Maybe I'll look. It was in the pilot where the like ancient, <laughs> you know, Baron, whatever <laughs> demon has come to visit and remind them that they should be taking over the new world. And they want to do something special. So I can't remember his name. He's the Ottoman vampire, kind of the main character. Mm-hmm. And his familiar basically go to the Dollarama because he wants glitter to like, you know, look like Twilight. <laughs> do, do something special, right? And then they're there and he's like, oh, what is this? Creepy paper. He's like, that, that, sir, sir, master, that's actually crepe paper. Creepy paper. <laughs> no, it's just, it's, just, it's, just, it's just crepe paper, <laughs> master. That's so dumb, but I love it so much. Anyway. Oh, that's the whole show. It's so dumb, but it's so good. And if you've seen the movie, maybe you're like, why do I need to watch the show if I've seen the movie? They tweak a little bit. There's the Colin character who is an emotional vampire. (laughs) Or no, energy vampire, right? The emotional vampire was the one-off character in the third episode. But he basically, like, absorbs your essence by boring you. And he works in this drab office and just wanders cubicles, just like, and he's just like balding, you know, 40 something year old guy. And he'll be like chatting to people about like, oh yeah, I was thinking about that debate we were having on Q-tips the other day. And you just see like the person he's talking to go like, oh God, please leave. So they do tweak, they add some tweaks for, you know, to the show that aren't in the movie. The only reason I might stay with it was I heard there's some like cameo filled episode that comes later in the season that really, oh. was a, really was a turning point for a lot of people. I think a lot of people oh, were like man. me. And we're just kind of like, yeah, I'm sure it's good, but it doesn't need to exist. And then all of a sudden I heard about this episode with all these cameos. And I was like, okay, maybe I need to stick with it to check that out. So I'm so excited for you. <laughs> like that you have this coming. So excited. So we will see about that. Listen, I'm excited for other things, but we're going to get into that. We'll talk about some warrior after the break. the show this is the half of the show where we talk about the things we brought each other but first before we get into it we have some rules yeah the first the first rule is the rule of three and that is if the thing comes in parts we will watch three of them this also applies to comic books with issues and podcasts that also have episodes um but this was a television show so it definitely did apply and uh we'll get to it in a second but before that our second rule hashtag save it for the pod Mm -hmm. that's the rule that says we will only talk about the things when we are sitting in front of these microphones this rule applies so that I don't just, like, bust in Facebook and yell at Jordan about whatever we're watching. This can be a good thing or a bad thing. Also, sometimes we stick to this rule so adamantly that we have no idea if the other person has watched the thing we are supposed to watch. Zero. Yeah. The third rule isn't really a rule. It's more of a policy is that there will be spoilers. Basically, if you don't like spoilers, you need to leave because we will get into things and there's some people out there who are like, I don't want to know anything about a thing. Well, then you should not be listening to this half of the show. (laughs) And it was lovely having you and you need to go. And those are all the rules. Friends, we have been alternating items that each of us have brought in. Technically, this is something I brought in, but I'd had 
We ba- I basically mentioned it, and we decided to do it sight unseen. This is something that was brought to me by a coworker. I said, that sounds mildly interesting. I mentioned it to Kate, and Kate went, what? what? And, uh, and we decided that that would be the thing we would watch this week, and that is HBO Max's Warrior. This is a American martial arts crime drama that premiered on April 5th, 2019 on Cinemax in America. It is based on an original concept and treatment by the god Bruce Lee. More on that in a moment. And it is executive produced by his daughter Shannon Lee and film director Justin Lin. Jonathan Tropper, the one-time showrunner of the Cinemax series Banshee, is the showrunner of this. It stars... Andrew Koji, Olivia Chang, Jason Tobin, Diane Doan, Kieran Bew, Dean Jagger, Joanna Vanderham, Tom Weston-Jones, Hori Lee, Langley Kirkwood, Christian McKay, Perry Young, Joe Talsim, Teslim, apologies, Dustin Nguyen, Celine Buckins, Miranda Raison, Chen Tang, Maria Elenis Lass, so many people, y'all. What is this show? Set during the Tong Wars in the late 1870s, San Francisco. The series follows Assam, a martial arts prodigy who emigrates from China in search of his sister, only to be sold to one of the most powerful Tongs in Chinatown. Background of this, because this is how it was mentioned to me uh, by my coworker and what made it interesting or made me interested enough to want to check it out. So if you know anything about the life of the great Bruce Lee, in 1971, he pitches a show a television show he's already established at this point. Maybe this is, I don't know where this falls in his career. Definitely post green Hornet type stuff, but he's established. He's a, you know, megastar in China. He's trying to break into North America. And he developed a concept for a television series called Assam. Bear in mind, this all comes from Wikipedia. So, you know, grain, whatever grains of salt salt. you need. Um, It was about a a martial artist in the American old West. Now, depending on who you ask, the networks, primarily Warner brothers, either, stole this concept outright and called it Kung Fu and cast David Carradine in it, or were already working on a similar show and passed on Bruce Lee's. Uh, Either way, Bruce Lee was not going to be cast in that version of Kung Fu uh, because either of his ethnicity or having too strong an accent. It was 70s America. What what do you want? What do you expect? So what this show, Warrior, is purporting to be is somewhat of a more based kind of, I don't know how much, I have not done the deep behind the scenes about the production of the show, but based on his original Asong pitch from the set, and based on his writings that his children found um, in his belongings. I'm going to just leave it there for a minute. Kate? Yeah. How did you like this? Do you want to know best news I got this year, Hmm. Jordan. Hmm. The best news I got this year was that this season has a third season coming. Why is no one talking about this show? What the fuck is going on? This show is amazing. Holy fucking shit. Jordan, I stood up. I was sitting and I was watching the show and a thing happened and I stood up from sitting. We know how much I don't like standing. Do you know what you have to do to get Caitlin to get up? I went, I stood up. I was like, ah. And then senior correspondent Chris walked in and he's like, what? And I was like, this thing and this thing happened. With the, and then there was the Irish and then this thing and the Chinese but then these other Chinese. And then 
what what the hell what the hell how how is this not the biggest fucking show on the planet right now like i don't i googled because i was like where the fuck have i been and then i googled and i was like where has everyone been i found one article that on the ringer that basically asked that question why is no one talking about warrior like boardwalk empire which is a show i really liked got so much attention and this show is at least five times better than boardwalk empire at least it is so i don't even know where to start by talking about how what this show does well i want to call out one thing immediately which is when i mean it it all falls under world building i guess um when a song who is our you know primary character again andrew koji guy who plays him never heard of him don't know what he's been in but nice to, nice to meet you yeah um be still my beating heart joe taslam where have you been my life who's you got you gotta talk characters i can't do actors uh, which one's so that? he's he's lee young he's basically they're setting him up as like the bad guy against andrew koji or, or against uh, uh asam um who works for the other uh mob who's smashing his sister yes yeah and like his face <laughs> i want to wear his face <laughs> Wow. <laughs> oh my God. I just, yeah, it is. It's filled with beautiful men and beautiful women. Now, I'm just going to let you know, I, I, HBO has picked this, HBO Max has picked this up for the, for their third season. Yes, it was on a, under Cinna, whatever, which is a company under HBO, but yes. I don't know how this wasn't like a HBO mainline. I don't understand. But well, anyways, I'm really glad they picked it up for the third season. It has... All the TNA you would want from your HBO show. Mm-hmm. Tons of smashing, um, which, of course, makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> um, but I just, like, fold laundry while that happens. <laughs> um, and I'm not enough penis, but there never is for me. I, 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 I knew that. I knew, I, and actually, this is something I, like, watch for now. I was like, there's a lot of boobies flying in this show. And the dude's going to get naked, and there's never any penis. But, I mean, there's a couple dudes got naked. There's quite a bit of um, nice butt, which is nice, um, but just you know, I'm all about the equal opportunity nudity. <laughs> Sorry, I lost I lost my point. I want to double back. Um, so, yes, uh, it all falls under world building. One thing I loved is when you see it's all it's all based around the actual historical fact of like you know Chinese immigrants who came to America and were basically scooped up in the song the song ain't never changed right they're just scooped up for cheap labor and the whites don't like it um yeah it's primarily the irish but we'll get more to that in a minute um but it's like in the first scene you see a son obviously he's got that you know he's got the badass vibe he knocks out a couple uh you know first of all again you can always tell when i'm amped about a show because i just jump all over the place um yeah yeah Great show for watching racists get punched. If you need racists getting punched in your life, this yeah, is a fantastic show good. for that. So mm-hmm. Asan, you know, beats up a couple, you know, gets into it with a couple racist immigration officers and is watched by, you know, this show's version of Littlefinger and <laughs> kind of gets sold yeah. immediately to one of the tongs. But it's as they're talking in, forgive me, it's either Cantonese or Mandarin. I don't know which. Um, uh, I believe it's Mandarin. As they're speaking, we'll go with that. As they're speaking, it's probably more likely. No, no, hold on, hold on. Cantonese! It's Cantonese. So 
Assam and Littlefinger are having a discussion in Cantonese, and then the camera rotates around them. <gasps> and when and it makes it, a sound. And when it makes a full, like, 360, they're speaking English to let you, Whitey, know that in the exegesis of the show, they're still speaking Cantonese. But this is like putting the, the angle brackets in comic books, and there's a little asterisk, and then at the bottom, and it's in English, but then at the bottom, there's, like, translated from the whatever. Um Mwah. Yes, exactly. Chef's kiss. I'd never seen anything like that before. I thought it was fucking genius. And that was the moment where I knew like, oh, this show's doing something special. Like, and yeah, so basically that's, that's the jam. A song has crossed the salt, real amazing uses of language in this show. And just kind of like the, Oof, the phrases, the, that, duck, the, the ducks in the pond. I looked that up because I wanted to know if there was any historical like precedent or analogy for that term. And there really isn't. It was just kind of like, you know, ducks are white and the whiteies are white. Um, and it was, like, made for the show. That and Onion, which are what the uh, the Tongs kind of call each other, um, is, like, they were just made for the show. Like, it just kind of, like, made these terms um, yeah. for the show. So, basically, he has come over to find someone. You find out his sister was sold to a gangster to save him. Details still uncertain. It's just kind of alluded to. Um, something was happening with him. He was probably in bad with this gang. His sister gets sold. Um, real bad Daenerys season one Game of Thrones type shit happens to her. Um, and kind of similar. Um, well, even worse, I would say. Pro- probably. This is like some Sansa level stuff. <laughs> She's um, getting beaten and raped. That's, yeah. Yes. Um, and then basically, you know, changes her name and uh, breaks bad, I guess, for lack of a better term. Like, it's now just like, there's no way out of this, so... I'm just going to, you know, make paper while I can. So and she's not going. He finds her in the first episode and she's like, I ain't going anywhere. Like, I just love that. He's like, I'm here to save you. And she's like, where were you here to save me when I was getting beaten and raped yeah. by that mobster? Like, I'm not going anywhere. You fuck off. <laughs> Took your sweet ass time. So peace out. Um, so that's the main crowd. You have these warring tongs. One is being manipulated by the deputy mayor of San Francisco or like, yeah, I guess he's manipulating. She doesn't seem like she's really easily manipulated, but he's trying to like pit them against each other. Um, yeah, I don't know what that guy's deal is. He's like, we've got little finger and Oh, who's the guy with the little birds? Varys. Varys. And you've got like these two people who are playing all the angles, but you're not really sure what their game is. And I love it. Now it's not, I don't want to say it's high art, but it's elevated pulp. It's very pulpy. It is almost borderline too gory. What? I don't know. Something about, and this is why I was wondering, because you had such a violent reaction to that Tin Star show last week. Like, when, so Asan gets sold to the Tong. He gets paired up with the leader of the Tongs. Uh, you know, it, what's, what's it called when, like... <laughs> illegitimate but nah like obviously he's the son of you know a prostitute oh um, he's like he's like a named bastard yeah or a, yeah, yeah. It, the the head of the tongue knocked up a prostitute and birthed him and birthed him and he's he's fucking great he's great but he really likes little knives and stabbing people and something about him when they raid that delivery yeah and he's just getting real stabby with people i was like mm-hmm. this is gross <laughs> This is ex- oh, it was great. This I was like, oh, gross. yeah, played, uh, uh, yeah, Young Jun or Jung Young, uh, played by Jason Tobin. He does a great job with that role. Well, oh, what was also awesome is how many episodes in did you get? 
three. Just the Only three? B- it was my fault. I was like, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. And I'm at, at end of three, and I have to, like, go do life stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck, what did you do, Caitlin? So you, I, you, you, you fucked up. You played yourself. <laughs> I squeezed in one more with someone cute this morning, or last night. We got we got through episode four. Um, And there's a scene where there's a third group that... Um, a third group? That... Asong's sister, Maylin, is that her name? She's important. Um, enough. She's important enough to be yes. called by her name. Um, Myling, yes. His sister Myling is trying to make a deal with this third group that's like they say they're descendant from the Mongols type of thing. They kind of run like the illegal gambling in Chinatown type of thing. And it's the first meeting with them, and immediately off to the side, there's there's three of them sitting there, and on the left, I didn't really know some at first. Someone cute goes, Hey, 21 Jump Street. <laughs> like OG 21 Jump Street. There was like a Vietnamese guy in 21 Jump Street. It was him. And I was like, that totally is him. Um, Is is this just going to be like the Asian Harry Potter where like (laughs) every Asian actor in the industry does a a bit part on this? I mean, I'd be here for it. Um, Action scenes, obviously, this is what they're banking on. The hand-to-hand type stuff. um, So good. And it's impeccable. Um, It has things to say the irish mafia plays a large part in it because they are the ones who were kind of getting all the day laborer jobs and kicking up until um you know the chinese started coming over well technically as as the leader of them says first it was uh black americans who had been freed well they're going north they're not staying in the south um, and they were like, now they didn't go back to Africa, which is just yeah. such a like, yeah, oh, exactly, racist right? thing. But they came here and took our jobs. And now the Chinese, of course, he does not use the nicer name. Uh, he has to use the super racist name. Yep. Uh, I've come over in boatloads and they're taking our jobs. Um, and as the cop from Georgia, which I'm like, nice fucking touch. Yeah. The cop from Georgia says, shouldn't you guys like be banding together and fighting against you know the wealthy people who are pitting all the poor people right. and i'm like welcome to 2021 yeah. everyone literally the thing we just said in the first half of the show right like yeah it's like why is your beef with the chinese shouldn't it be with the people who are you know who are running not, not paying who are running the show and not paying not paying enough um yeah all of this is kind of circling around a real thing that happened, which was, was it called the Chinese Exclusion Act or the Asian Exclusion Act? I don't remember which, but it was. Like, I think it was the Chinese. Well, they kind of like, they did that awful thing where they're just like, everyone who looks Chinese is Chinese. Yeah. Um, where, <sighs> you know, the quote unquote, and this was the factually accurate term for the time. I'm not endorsing it, but, you know, the yellow menace was a thing in that era and you can see it getting pumped by this like you know by the various figure the deputy mayor there who clearly the exclusion act is he has some sort of investment in he wants this to happen there's the there's the added element of this like clear of the wire like element of clearly done for political reasons special task force to just deal with chinatown um mm. with a bunch of like you know not great <laughs> cops including the dude from georgia who like actually like you know has radical ideas like seeing people as humans and like like what and doing like a modicum of you know forensic investigation oh my god every time that i the irish sergeant is like put your notebook away i'm like oh my god worst cops ever <laughs> quit, quit quit feeling around the dead man's guts <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. um 
Yeah, and I, it's hard to talk about because there are so many moving parts set up so quick, which are the best type of shows. Yeah. Um, and just watch this show. I can't say it enough. Like, it's it's the best feeling when, like you said, when you discover that there's a third season that they're doing and that we already have two seasons to get through. Like, And, like, shout out to those people because apparently it was going to get canceled after season two and, like, something like almost 70,000 people wrote in and wrote a petition. There we go. Um, to, like, save the show and, like... Thank you, and I swear to God, we will do everything in our power to get as many people to watch it as possible. Because it's so good. It's so good. Like, I, re- I really hope the move to, like, all you gotta do is, like, slap it on a couple more home screens on Crave or HBO Max or whatever. Like, oh, yeah. Like you said, it was a Cinemax show. Cinemax attempted to do original content. That's where the Nick was, which was that Soderbergh uh, early hospital show. Um with Clive Owen that ran for a couple seasons. Um, that was on there. There was Banshee was on there, which I always heard was Dece. Um, mm-hmm. And was kind of batshit, which I mean, probably makes sense why that dude is now show running this. Um, but yeah, it was probably wasting away over on, over on Cinemax. And now if you're like moving it onto HBO max proper, I don't know if it's going to be on HBO when they do the third season or if it's just going to live online, but either way, yeah, like, journalists, what the fuck are you doing? You need to pump this shit out there. You need to let the people know that it's just something amazing just, like, sitting there that nobody's watching. Hey, radical idea. Hmm. Instead of another take on anything in the Marvel Universe, or Falcon, or what does it mean for Val- or for, for Sam to become Captain America? Or here's a 37-minute is- video on the four-minute Loki trailer. Like, you, you know what we need to talk about? You know what we need to talk about? <laughs> we need to talk about why you're not watching Warrior. There's your, yeah. he- there's your headline. And, like, as you said, if you need a feel-good show that really is feel-good because a bunch of racists get punched, this is for you! I mean, it's not always going to work out in your favor, but you can be rest assured that 90% of the time a racist is going to get punched. So (laughs) that is always a good time. Kate, this is a nine for me. It's a 10 for me. Room for the bombs. You you know, I'm ambivalent about leaving tens just until I see the whole thing. But like, it's pretty hard to, I I don't know what, I don't know what you could improve on the thing you're trying to do. I don't know how you can improve it. It was one of those shows where I was like, I watched the first episode and I was like, well, it's a nine. And I was like, but I should at least watch two because <laughs> and they're long. And I was like a oh, full hour for the first episode. And then like the second one's like 45 or 50 minutes. Yeah. I was like, man. And then I got through three of them. It's one of those shows that you watch and it does not feel like an hour. Oh, no. I like you're entertained throughout. You have like really good sets. You've got really good acting. You've got really good character development. All these people have different angles and you're so involved and you want to know what happens with a bunch of different things that it you're just you're in that world and so for me if any show can do that and like not like literally have me halfway through socks like have to put them down because i'm like so enthralled that's a tech it's on crave you probably didn't know it was there find it watch it hit us up on twitter at geek down pod let us know if you're enjoying it as much as we are 
and friends, someone cute gave me tacos for dinner tonight to bring home back back from her place. So I got to do up some tacos and watch more Warrior. Watch some, yeah, I was going to say Warrior and tacos. That's like best best night ever. That's a, that's a hell of a Sunday night, yo. Yeah. So that is going to wrap it for us, friends. We thank you so much for spending some time with us every week. It truly means the world to us. We hope you can, we can brighten up your day just a little bit every week. My name is Jordan Ferguson. My name is Caitlin McKinnon. The theme song is by Rob Gasser. And I hope you will join us next week for another fantastic episode of the Geek Down Podcast. I'm too amped, Kate. I'm talking about it too fast. You are, you're, you're going so fast. I'm like, you're missing bits of words and sentences. Like, you are amped. Well,